Um, and I'm alarmed by how many of us are happy with following Jesus very loosely. We somehow sometimes think following Jesus is an abstract concept, but it's very practical. He's with us. So, new or old, new or old believer, would you open up your heart today? Would you open up your heart? It might, might be a day of <laughs> repentance and recommitment. See, the thing with Jesus is there is never condemnation for those in him. But there is a great invitation. And if it feels so strong that it feels like condemnation, conviction also feels that strong sometimes. If you want to tear your clothes, I hope you didn't buy too expensive ones. I think Quibber said he slept in that um, t-shirt he's got on last night, so I, I don't think that's a very special one to him. So if he, he decides to let it go. You see, the scripture I'm referring to there... Um, I won't refer to it again in the sermon, but I thought it's quite relevant. It's in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 38-ish. And um, it's, it's Paul teaching about marriage. Those of you who have done marriage prep with us would remember this. Teaching about marriage. And he's saying, I, I observe that when someone that was devoted to Christ gets married, then... I see the strength that they now share their devotion. All the devotion went to God, but now some of it goes to the wife and husband. And then he says, he speaks out against that. It almost sounds like he says, do not get married. And then he ends it off by saying, I do not say this to lay any restraint upon you, but in order to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, our devotion to Jesus cannot be compared to anything else in life. I might, might say this again, and we make this a little bit softer, then I can keep it closer to the mic. Um, I might say this again, but this whole thing of Jesus first must end now among us. Jesus is not first. Because that means something is second. Jesus is everything. He's all you follow. He's all you need. When we make things second and third, we give them righteous little gods below to also sometimes call some shots. They can't. Because he's Lord. In every nation they say he's either Lord of all or he's not, not Lord at all. So even in marriage, I just thought, I mean, it's the most holy thing we have on earth is marriage. And yet he says, do not, do not allow your devotion to be split. Your devotion in marriage must just amplify towards him. Just an example. Mission or lifestyle. Mission or lifestyle. Would you open up your heart this morning as we read this scripture? Scripture, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. If you are open to the Spirit and the Word this morning, can I quickly pray over you and you can just stretch out your hand. 
just in a sign of saying, yes, Lord, I'm open. Yes, Lord, I open my heart. Father, I thank you that this morning we're not going to try to justify our lives, but thank you for the covenant of grace that you've made with us where we can always come to you, Father. And your arms are open for us. And I pray, Father, that we be open and humble and quick to repent so you can wash and refresh us and align us. Father, we are willing to reevaluate our whole lives. We are willing to hold loosely. We are willing to hold loosely to all of it and follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe it's a time that we should deconstruct and reconstruct our lives in accordance with Jesus. I believe if we say Jesus, we'll say this often, Jesus, he's got a voice that he speaks to you through. He's got his word that he speaks to you through, and he's got his body that he speaks to you through. So when you speak about Jesus and aligning yourself to him, it's, it's always that, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the church of God. But I believe it's a time for many of us to deconstruct our lives, break it open and apart, and reconstruct it with him in following him. Jesus requires everything, so all of it must be aligned every step, every second, every cent. Amen? To just make a little bit of sense of this, and when we speak about it, I'm more intuitive. I'm a more intuitive personality, and some of you might be more practical, hands-on. So for me, when I think, let's get my life in order, I think of all of the big things in my life that I've kind of laid out for the rest of my life, and I want to get them in order. And for some of you that it's more practical, you think following Jesus is walking daily and just doing as he leads and, you know, and both are very true. I will just struggle more with the daily stuff and some of you might struggle more with the big stuff. But the wrestle is for all of us and all of this. So it's about the structure of your life. Write down everything that you do. Write down everything that you do and that you pursue. All of it. Is it drenched with the story of Jesus? The structure of your life. Can you tell me how Jesus led you there? Your work, your house, your spouse. Now you can leave your work and leave your house. But even if you realize you got your spouse in some weird way, don't leave your spouse. You made a covenant and God is faithful. (laughs) If you have two or three, we can maybe speak about it. Um, that, that'll be a very, very difficult situation. Um, then there are decisions within that structure. So God called me to Cape Town. I must be here. I must, I must, I must, I must do my work in ministry here. But now while I'm here, should I do the Argus? Are you with me? Should I, um... I don't know, you can have, like, I can just list like a million things. But decisions we make within that structure. Sometimes we think, yeah, I know I should be in Cape Town for this season of my life, but what I'm doing here is not aligned at all. You know, it's like God said, you must go to Newlands to play rugby, and then you, like, pitch up there, and you just, you're just at Newlands, but you're not playing rugby. I mean, then it's just as well that you didn't go. So the decisions within, is that drenched 
with the story of Jesus. Because otherwise it's going to be futile, it's going to lead us to disillusionment, it's just going to not be what we want it to be. Right? Sometimes following Jesus will not look like we want either. But my son doesn't always like it when I say you can't have another ice cream. But I'm the dad. I love him. He's the son. He doesn't know. Like we are, right? Before him. And then there is our, our daily flow. That walking with him. That being attuned to him. So, so, so deconstructing, reconstructing is all of this. With that daily flow, the way we love people, the way we engage, you know, sometimes God can say, oh, you must be a worshiper in the worship team at church, but then you come here and you're just an idiot with everyone. You know? And you're like, what? How, how, how does that translate to fulfilling what God called you to do? I once experienced him saying that if you do what I called you to do with bad character, it's like giving someone that's really thirsty a damn dirty glass of water. You just did all the effort, but it's useless. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I gave you water. But they can't drink the water. See, so all of this is important. And God is calling us to align all of these things in accordance with His will. Let's let's say, let's speak a little bit about covenant. Um, is my clicker still working? Yeah. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that He prepared before, and that we should walk in them. It's engraved on the inside of my ring. We cannot do anything to earn salvation, but those that have earned salvation are those who said, I want the holiness of God, but I cannot attain to it. God help me. Those are the ones who get saved. Not the ones who look at the cross and say, ooh, there's nice grace. You've never attained to it. Not the ones who say, oh, I'll try to be holy like Jesus and improve everyone and myself. You've never attained to it. The one who said, God, I want to be holy like you, but I, I can't. You run to the cross and you're transformed forever and your sins are forgiven. You can't do anything to earn that. You, you're just crying out to God. He says, I adopt you. So it's not by your own doing. But when that has happened, we know this, when that has happened, you're transformed and you, your desire to do His will, your desire to be like Him is then empowered by His Holy Spirit and you can then do it and you grow in it for we are created for good works that he prepared for us before and that we we still have free will should walk in them you will not by default be walking in them you should walk in them but when we read what Jesus had to say for the churches and revelations, then we see a lot of them were kind of falling to this side, falling to that side. For, they were not walking in it. Are you with me? If we have a hyper-Calvinistic view and say, well, I'm just going to do nothing, and then whatever happens would be the will of God, and whatever I happen to do would be what God wanted me to do. He says, his sheep hears his voice, and they follow him. It's a very active relationship we have, and we can opt in or out. In Jeremiah 31, we read, 
about the new covenant. It's one in which he forgives our sins and writes his law on our hearts. He forgives our sins. I didn't think Aubrey would be the first one to be offended and <laughs> run out. I mean, I wanted to use him as an example of what, I was, what I'm preaching about. But Aubrey, come back. <laughs> Aubrey's back. All right. I just ran to <laughs> save the one, the, the 99 was, was still here. Um, the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, speaks about where he would forgive our sins and write his laws on our hearts. You see, law is still a part of covenant because he is God. What he says is law. What he says is what it is. But I just got a crazy revelation in worship. The fact that he made forgiveness of sins his work in the covenant means we can't mess it up unless we want to opt out. Because he will forgive our sins when we mess it up. The old covenant is you must keep, 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 keep. Otherwise you're out. Now it says I know you can't keep, 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 keep. So there's forgiveness in this covenant. So you're locked in. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Unless you opt out. That's great news. You can opt out, but as long as you stay repentant and you take, you drink from that stream of forgiveness, it's there. Praise God. That's the new covenant. But he writes his laws on our hearts. Now for the one who got saved is the one who said, God, I can't keep your law. Please help me. So now he says through relationship with you, I'm going to write them on your hearts. I'm not only going to have a man up a mountain that comes down. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to journey with you. I'm going to make my word alive to you. Our millions in audience just asked that. They want to see more of the dimples on my forehead. I don't know. I'm Afrikaans. I sometimes use the wrong words for stuff. Um, real repentance leads to a lifestyle of real repentance, and it's got fruit because of it. God is calling us to stay in a lifestyle of repentance. Repent and believe, they say. So there are many, you, you can reach prosperity preachers um, sometimes say, all you need to do in the new covenant is believe. Well, if you want to know what the word believe means, then just not, just, you cannot say, I believe. The, the word means to trust in and rely in him fully. That's what the word believe means. So, if you have put your trust in his saving work and you've come to him, you've run to him with that attitude. He says we must preach repentance of sins and we must believe in the gospel. We sometimes make it to say like, I, I, I believe, you know, I believe that this is black. It's not that. It's believing as in I put my trust in it. It's like I believe in Omo. Omo works. So if I tell you I believe in Oma with my life, and you come to my house, man, I only use skip. What will you call me? 
Oh, yes. You can't fake it with God like that. Now, let's dig in a little deeper. A lot of you know this one. And we're going to look at it from a different angle this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, the glorious last day, I would believe, many would say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And you read it and you think, well, I'm not a worker of lawlessness. Because if we think of lawlessness, we think of the country's laws and of murderers and rapists and thieves. And we think, "I'm I'm I'm not that. But what is lawlessness? I'll show you and explain to you. But lawlessness is doing anything that God didn't tell you to do. That's lawlessness. If it's not in accordance with the word of God or the spirit of God, then it's lawless. Because it's not according to the law that is written on your heart. It's lawlessness. I'll show you this just now. But you see, it's linked, it's linked to I never knew you. It's linked to I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. The one who knows him is the one who's got it written on his heart. And the one who truly has it written on his heart is flowing with of what he has spoken. And where we struggle to attain to the things that he's spoken, we are rep- repentant before him. And he loves us throughout it all. But if we stray from that place and we're not with him, and we do whatever we would want, like my son asked, we could be doing miracles in his name because the Gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. We could be doing miracles in His name and yet not qualify. The will of my Father in heaven. We are in a relationship. It's not a religion. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a, new, a new kind of dead religion. In the churches who ran away from the old kind of dead religion. And because we ran away from structured religion and called that dead. We've come to one where we can have unstructured dead religion. And still do what we want. One that. Takes Jesus easy, that doesn't like a radical childlike faith. I used to do that when I was a student, but now I'm more mature. One that's been there, done that, and now I'm just, you know, having a great time. It's a hard time. I'm having a hard time, you know. Life is tough, and I reach out to Jesus every now and again, doing exactly what I want. I'm not following him, you know. I'm meandering off on my own course, and then I come to an intersection, and I, w- I wonder whether I should go left or right, and I remember, oh, I can ask Jesus, and maybe he can help me, if, you know, whether I should take this job or not. But then he doesn't say anything, because you weren't following him in the first place. You were running off on your own. Now you want to know whether you should go left or right. He's there, waiting for you. Repent, realign your life to the kingdom of God. 
And then he'll show you maybe it's a 45 degree angle that way. <laughs> Do the will of my Father in heaven. What's the, what's the will of my Father in heaven? Um, there was one who didn't live a lawless life, right? We all are somewhat lawless, right? If we stay in repentance and you understand what that means, then the covenant saves us. Interesting that it cuts it off there. But anyway, I'll read it for you. It's supposed to look a little bit different, but it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Because he couldn't live a lawless life, he couldn't do anything as a man unless he saw the Father doing it. Because if he would do anything else, it would be lawlessness. Him being a man on earth. Having to live a perfect life as a man, even though he was God. Lawlessness is when we do anything that he didn't lead us in. Jesus could never do that. And then it says that we must walk as he walked. (laughs) Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We say, oh, just be with Jesus, just abide with him. But the fruit of that would speak clear. I mean, are you walking the way he walked? Why are you not? Because whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same which, way in which he walked. And the way in which he walked is he did whatever the Father said. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else with his mornings, with his afternoons, with his weekends, with his holidays. Nothing else. We've got a lot of you around here that lives like this. But there's a growing culture that's just not minding to even ask the question, how did Jesus lead you to make that decision? As he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's the opposite of Matthew 7, where he does not know them. And they do what they want, even, even godly things. He says, the diff- yeah, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. He calls us sheep. You know, we, <laughs> A lot of people say, no, we, we, we have to use our amazing, brilliant minds. You know, God wants, to use, wants us to use our amazing, brilliant minds also. Well, I would dare to do that when he asks that of me. But I wouldn't just go there whenever I think I want to use my brilliant, amazing mind. As he calls me a sheep. We do have brilliant, amazing minds. I'm not, I'm, I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying in relation to him, we're sheep that must follow. That is Christianity, followers of Christ. Are you not hearing his voice? Then you 
I don't think you're already his sheep because he says my sheep hear my voice. So if you don't know his voice at all, then I don't think you're his sheep. Or else I don't understand English, which is optional. It's, it's an option. I mean, I... If you do not regularly hear it or you struggle to, it might just be because you aren't following him. Because he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. So if you haven't been following him then it, and you've been living lawlessly, even, the, even a godly, you know, good lawlessness will still not get you anywhere with him. Are you with me? That's dead religion. And then this happens. You can, this maybe helps to discern your heart. It says in Matthew 12, um, we'll still get better at this clicky thing. It's not always that responsive. Matthew 24, 12, because, of disobedient, because disobedience will expand, the love of many believers will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold, referring to believers, because disobedience will expand. I put the word disobedience in, you know, if you know your scripture, that most translations says lawlessness. Now, we just spoke about what lawlessness is, and we thought that maybe we're not that far away. Are you hearing me? Because disobedience will expand, the love of many believers will grow cold. It's a time, and I believe, we, I don't know how, close we are to the end, but we're definitely closer to it than what we were yesterday. And this is what's going to happen in the last days. Disobedience will expand. People will just do things because they want to do things. That's disobedience. I read somewhere, someone said, if what you're doing is not what God asked you to do, then you are doing exactly what the devil is asking of you. I've read somewhere else that there's one law in Satanism that says, um, thou shalt do what thou wilt. Because that would be, perfect, be exactly what he wants. You, you just do whatever you want. Because then you've got to head for destruction. Disobedience will expand and the love of many believers will grow cold. We're seeing that in our, in our day. I am r- rather confident that I've been obedient in my ministry to you over the last few years. But personally, I have let a few small things slip. I felt that it's... In a culture of compromise, if I compromise on a few things, I might still look like a rather good example. And we might relate more. I'm repenting about a lot of the good life in Cape Town. Are you with me? Obedience is wood to the fire. Disobedience is water on the fire. Repentance is fuel for the fire. Obeying God makes, us, makes our hearts grow more loving towards Him, makes our faith come alive, 
makes the fire burn inside of us. That's what obedience does, like adding wood to the fire. Disobedience, Scripture says, makes it, makes it cold. Makes your love cold. It drenches. It, it quenches the fire. Praise God for the new covenant that repentance is like that little bit of flame that was left. He adds fuel on it and says, let's go again. That's cool. But if we live in constant disobedience and many of the things we do, we just do because we like to do them. Eventually the fire will just die, will it not? Eventually the secular agendas will just catch your attention so much. You'd start to think, well, I haven't. You wouldn't think it, but I haven't been. I have been hearing from Jesus for so long. I don't know anything in His Word, and these arguments from the secular agenda sound so amazing. I mean, there's no way there could have been a flood. There's no way God could have created the earth in six days. And there you go. Your love will grow cold because of it. We need to walk with Him. And this is the word that I believe that the Lord is, is speaking. There was the um, title for the message because I believe it is a word that God breathed, the wording of it. I believe God breathed to me, mission or lifestyle. What are you doing? What are you here for? Because your decisions look vastly different when you're linked in with Jesus on his mission or whether you're making decisions to fit your lifestyle. I'm thinking of, of guys of old, David Livingston. I'm thinking of Smith's, Smith Will, Wiggleworth, William Wilberforce. I'm thinking of guys that mentored me that you'd know, like C.S. LaRue. If you'd ask C.S., you know, like what kind of a lifestyle are you going for? What would C.S. say? He'd be so offended he wouldn't even know what, like, what that means. You probably just frown awkwardly and walk away. Because I I gave my life for the um, kingdom. Lifestyle. Hairstyle. Whatever. Jeremiah 45.5 says, Do you seek great things for, for yourself? Seek them not. Now, for some of you, that seems really hard, but, 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 but I thought God was, yeah, I mean, God also wants me to have a good life. God will lead you beside still waters. He will lead you in green pastures. He will give you rest for your soul. He will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. That's exactly what you want. But you want to go and claim it for yourself in your own way? Like a little child messing his ice cream all the way home and not really getting what he wanted and then having a sugar rush and a massive breakdown. It's not going to work. Follow Jesus. Seek great things for yourself. Seek them not. Choosing a lifestyle is choosing spiritual death. You don't believe me? This is a disease among us. It must be rooted out. The things we do are the things that God must have confirmed in our hearts. We do not follow passion. I'm so passionate about that. I'm, 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 I'm so passionate. The word of God says you've crucified, those who have come to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we think they're only talking about sex. No. They're talking about your life, about everything. You crucify it. 
You don't follow passion. You follow Jesus. You don't follow opportunities. You follow Jesus. You don't follow open doors. You follow Jesus. He knows what, is, what are the real passions inside of you. He knows where He really wants you to go. Sometimes you need to go and kick the door open that He told you to walk through. We don't follow peace. We follow Jesus. Those things might be great final confirmations of what the Spirit of God and the Word of God has already spoken. But they do not speak on their own. They do not speak on their own. Make the most of your life. I want to make the most of my life. Hell no. (laughs) I mean that. I want to leave a legacy. No. Many who were in in Hebrews 11 who were just destitute without a that that wandered around in caves of the earth and sawn in two that the world was not worthy of they don't even mention their names because we don't know who they are they didn't leave a legacy they just there were some people doing missionary work in some of the roughest places in the world that you will never know of that might follow him in ways that we can't even imagine is 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 possible you'll not leave a legacy you might, if that's what it leads you to. But that's not what you follow. You follow Jesus. You want to be happy? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Choosing lifestyle is choosing spiritual Death. You don't believe me? There's Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He must deny himself, deny himself, deny himself. I see so much undenying of self. I see so much gratifying of self. I feel I might lose half of the church if I start speaking out on it. But I think we'd be, we'd be double as strong as if we do. But as the Lord says, I'd rather that all come to repentance. That's His will. Deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow me. You see, if we make Jesus first, then it means other things are second. They also lead us. It's the things that he didn't speak. Now, yeah, sometimes are things he spoke. He told you about a specific rhythm he wants to have implemented in your life. He confirmed it in a beautiful way. And now you, you do that. And when someone asks you, why do you guys have a rhythm of whatever, going away every six weeks, then you tell them the Jesus story of how he led you to that. Are you with me? But it must, it must have a Jesus story. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Think in Mark it says, loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Are you busy losing your life or are you trying to have a great life? You must repent and allow him to lead you beside still waters for his name's sake. Choosing lifestyle is choosing spiritual death. I've said this a few times, but nothing comes second. Here Jesus proves that. He says, as they, walk, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I will not be living in any houses. I don't have any houses, so you can come and stay with me. I don't have a missions base with a room for you. If you follow me, you might not have a house. Smile and see if you understand, if he understands who Jesus is. That he's the holy king of the universe. And that having a house or not doesn't really matter at all. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. The greatest task of a son in the culture. Maybe not the greatest, I don't know, but it's a specific task allocated to the sons to bury their fathers. It's a responsibility. Jesus said, He said, Do you know what He said there? He said, Do you not know who I am? Do you not know who I am? Do you not understand that I'm the king of the universe? It seems so harsh. But we do not understand, if, we do, if we understand who He is, we will understand this. We'll understand that if He would be the one to lead us, if they would come and follow Him, and this is the way that I've so often seen Him work, when I come to a point shaking and say, oh, God, I'll follow you. Here I am. He so often says, go bury your father. He knows how to love them much better than you do, but he's the only thing that you follow. I almost said he's first. I must re- I'm also struggling with this. But even if he doesn't, that's why you're shaking when you say, I'll follow you. But he knows how you should live, who you should love, and where you should be. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. For so many of us, going to bury your father seems like a much more important task than proclaiming the kingdom of, of God. It feels in your heart like this very big thing and this very small thing. You would say when you speak that no, proclaiming the kingdom of God is the greatest thing. But when it happens, you wouldn't even think about it. You would just, you just do you, whatever your earthly, earthly, earthly duty is. Because it's not, it's not weighted in our hearts the way that he wants it to be weighted. Still to another, he said, I will follow you, Lord. Or another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my a wife and my children. Jesus? No. 
one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Do you even want to be a Christian? Do you even want to be a Christian? Do you understand his infinite worth? That he's God of the universe. Will you follow him even if it's out on the streets? And you see what we conveniently do is we say no, but I haven't heard anything from him. So if I don't, I haven't heard anything, then I'll choose whatever's best for me. What? If you haven't heard anything from him, then Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. See great things for yourself, Jeremiah 45.5, seek them not. Where you live, where you're going to work, you don't seek great things for yourself. You seek first the kingdom. So if you really do not hear anything from God, and you then seek, your, you then seek great things for yourself, or whatever is nice and comfortable or good for you, like any uh, secular human would, then I, mean, I understand why you're not hearing the voice of God. Because you're not in for the kingdom. You would just, I mean, if, the, if an angel appears to most of you, I know you will go to Afghanistan. But unless an angel appears, you'll just have a good life. So he might not speak to you that much. I have come, I have come close to pulling my own hair out and tearing my clothes because of this. I'm almost done. Just want to make a couple of examples. And then we're going to worship again. We'll get this thing to work. Let's make it practical. There are so many decisions by believers that are so out of line. And sometimes we have... Lofty discussions like this, but then on the ground level, you're still like, uh, what? <laughs> Why did you? Oh, it's, it's too late now. You've already signed the contract. You've already, you've already you know, given up your rent. You've, oh, it's too late now. Those things are gut punches to me, I can tell you that much. Work. The secular career, career counseling model would tell you you find what you are um, passionate about, what, you are, um, or what you're good at, and what makes money. And where those three circles intersect, that's what you do for the rest of your life. Because you'll be happy, you'll make money, and you'll be good at it. Most Christians do exactly the same. Exactly. You follow a secular model to, to, to decide what you do with your whole life. You don't do that. You hear from him who you are, what you were made for on this earth, and where you must be right now. And where those three circles intersect, that's what you do. And if he doesn't say anything, then you do what he did. And you walk around and you make disciples. That would be the default. And you must work so you can make tents like Paul. We need some for the uh, camp. When I started my first, I mean, I can tell you testimonies for days, but I mean, like God spoke to me where I should be. What, what I, I got two job opportunities after he said, come down to Cape Town. I got two opportunities. We 
prayed and fasted, asked friends to pray, we took the one. One was a Christian company, the other one was not. We felt it's that one. I went there. I worked in the wine industry. He told me, you're going to work here for six years. I worked there for six years. I got a heart for the industry so that we would stop making rubbish, cheap bulk wine that causes chaos in our townships. I prayed against that in the industry. I was working for things he showed me in the industry, in the company, in whatever the work I was doing. And I never openly, not often, shared my faith because I was a consultant. And when you share your faith while you're consulting, it means people need to pay for that. So you need to find a different way. But when I told them I'm out now, I'm going to go to full-time ministry, everyone I saw told me, oh, but we know that's your passion in life. So we understand that it, it spoke. I was there. I knew why. Sometimes I missed God completely, but I can tell you amazing testimonies of that time. And then after six years, he said he will move me, and he, he moved us here through the most beautiful story that will take me a whole sermon to explain to you. But that's how work works for me. Weekends. Well, it seems that most of us just do whatever seems the nicest that is within our budget. And it seems whoever is rich gets called by Jesus to go away every weekend. And whoever is poor stays at home every weekend. I've got nothing against going away for the weekends if you can tell me how he led you there. I remember when me and Renal were newly married. We would wake up on a Sunday morning and I'd say, Oh, Liffy, what do you want to do today? And she would say, no, I want to do whatever you want to do today. And say, no, but I love you so much. I, want, I would be most happy if I could do whatever you want to do. And um, in accordance with 1 Corinthians 7, that says uh, your undivided devotion to the Lord, that was exactly the trap we were in. And the one moment I felt God being there, he's like... <clears throat> It's between the three of us, remember? Do you think it's a good idea to ask me? We've been on missions, on holidays, on the most amazing things where he has led us. He's led us to holidays in Nepal and Mauritius for which he paid on the exact dates that he said he would to confirm that he wants us to actually, actually go on holidays. How about that? He's led us in the most amazing way. On a, we did a specific five-day mission where we decided to not, to not buy any food or like rent any place to live, but just follow the voice of the Lord as He leads us together. And we saw the most beautiful things over that week. Over, it was a Christmas holiday that we decided we're not going to do family, we're going to do Jesus. That was prophetic. We made some of the best friends that we of our life that we still have right now. We, end, we, we even ended up in the, on the front page of the George Herald with an article that read, Angel has visited George because of everything that happened there. It's just as he led us. Doesn't that sound amazing? We've done missions like that up into Africa also where we've, we've, seen, we've seen incredible things and somehow the enemy lies to us and says following Jesus would be so hard, would be so difficult. And he only shows us those things, but he doesn't show you the truth in the spirit that it is what you're made for. It's the only thing that will have you resonate. It's the only thing that will make you come alive. The things you are searching for, you'll never find it somewhere else. But you're looking and looking and looking. And you're happy with half. And yet you might even miss out on 
Jesus completely, apart from the fact that you're happy with half. Home. Well, I want a garden for my children, so I need to go to Durbanville. No. <laughs> I want the right location, the right size within my budget. Well, God owns everything. So, I mean, if you want you to stay in a, in a poor neighborhood and not pay much, then even if you have a lot of money, then that's it. If, like us, not earn much, but trust God to have a house in the city center. We've got a, I don't want to mention figures, but we bought an amazing house in the city center because Jacques told me, I told him, let's buy an Somewhere on the outskirts, he said, no, we're contending for the city. God will provide for us. Someone gave us a, a three-bedroom f- f- three flat as a gift that we could sell and that would actually make, that we could actually buy that place. It doesn't matter if he wants you to live there or where. It doesn't matter what, it, your, what your budget says. We just follow Jesus. Open door, close door, whatever. Our door is always open. Even though it's locked. You see that as a metaphor. It's locked. But if you knock and you know you have to be there, we'll open. <laughs> Friendships. I've got incredible old friends. I've got, I've got covenant friends. But I cannot spend a lot of time with them right now because I'm called to a community here. And I don't like a lot of the people around here. And we're not good friends yet. But that doesn't really matter. Because that's where I'm called to. And I'm not living for myself. This is my local body. So this is where I will spend my time in relationship. I will not neglect the things God has given me. But I will acknowledge the fact that there is local church and universal church. And we can't get stuck in the universal church and call it church. And neglect this design in local church to be a, a body in which we function. So you spend your relational time there. You must be a vibrating, living stone in the walls of your local congregation just oozing with energy. <laughs> Holidays. Well, family and... You know, it's like weekends. We do whatever we want and it's just a little bit more, more, more family. But you remember G- Jesus said a lot of things about family when he said, follow me. So what does he say about your holiday? Yes, he might say, go to your parents. But he might say, go to Pakistan. We spent Christmas in India. The fireworks were so much that we... It entered the little flat we stayed in in um, Delhi that we couldn't see in the house because of all the smoke that was in the house. Then you see how other people do New Year's and Christmas. It's rather interesting. Or Eid. We had to travel through through Bangladesh to the airport on on Eid. That was... I'll tell you about that on, on, on another day. And then money. How, how, how have we come to think that it's ours? <laughs> I mean, it's all his. And in actual fact, I'm a co-heir with you. So if it's his, then your salary is mine also. So you should steward it for the better of the kingdom of God. Not for you. 
I'll pay my, uh, I'll pay my, my tithe and then with the rest I'll do whatever I want. Whether in 20k a month or 100, it doesn't matter. My budget will make it fit that it you know, goes for me. And if I earn a lot, well, I might give a little bit more away and then feel better about the fact that I'm still using it for me. It's not your money. <laughs> it's his money. Every line item in your budget in obedience. How about that? I can tell you the story of that. And me and my accountability partners, we open it up to each other. Say, so look at mine. It's rather vulnerable. Look at mine. What do you see? Am I crazy? <laughs> What's that thing? Oh, yes. Um, are you with me this morning? So how do we make these kind of decisions? We move one of the values of um, show far that is to move by by the uh, by the power of conviction. Now, it's not conviction of sin; it's conviction in your heart about something that that God is saying. That's how we move. I've got a conviction in my heart for this. It's not a feeling; it's a conviction through His voice, His word, and His body. That's how He speaks. Voice, word, body. That's how He speaks. That's Jesus. And if it's a big thing, let it be all three of them that have spoken. But at least two, if you really want to know. Any other thing that leads us is an idol. So, so if, 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 we're not, if we're not following the conviction that he brought unto our hearts that you feel, I know that I know. I don't need you to be at every Sunday service, but I need you to where you are when it's time for Sunday service that you'd be able to, when I phone you, tell me, this is how Jesus led me to be where I am. Or you can tell me I'm terribly broken and I need help. And then we'll rush there too. Are you with me? Because I do acknowledge the fact that there are sometimes we just too broken to be there. But he also binds up the wounds. You have to raise your hand and reach out. And as we as we start as we as we start getting an outflow, he also heals us. Because you know the um, Dead Sea because it's the lowest point, all the water just runs into it but nothing runs out. So it's dead. The water is so dead, nothing will ever be able to live there because there's no outflow. Because a part of our healing comes from starting to release the rivers on the other side. So don't, when you are when you're in need of healing, also make sure there's a river flowing and reach out because he does want to bind up your wounds. But he wants us to follow him. That's his call on our lives. And he will even lead us to healing. <laughs> Can't say, no, Jesus, I can't follow you now because I'm hurt. He says, follow me, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to hospital. <laughs> Are you with me? The power of conviction. All right, can we have the band up and then we're going to worship for about 20 minutes and we're going to respond to this. If you could all stand with me, that would be amazing.
there are a lot of us that needs to needs to come to repentance and that needs to in a very real way make a recommitment make a recommitment to saying oh Jesus I've been living lawlessly I, so many of the things that I do I don't even know if I consulted you at all I don't think so many weekends I just I, I just do what's nice so many evenings I don't know what you said and it's not been a burden on my heart. I just, just haven't thought that's the way. Yet your word is so clear that we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you. And that we must hear your voice and follow your lead. And that we must be of those who do not love their own lives unto death. I'm going to ask that everyone that has to respond to this and really repent while we worship that you would come to the front and that you would be on your knees and that you would do you, you would do business with with God and that we will pray over you but I need you to respond to this I need you to respond to this I need you to come out from wherever you are as a prophetic sign and to come and fall on your knees as a public sign and say Lord I need to follow you if that's you would you please come to the would you please come to the front And if there's not enough space, you can just be in the aisles. Sometimes Jesus leads us to make decisions. But in actual fact, the last big decision we make is the decision to follow Jesus. <laughs> Would you repeat after me, Jesus, I decide to follow you. I repent, God, of following other things. I surrender to your Lordship. You are Lord of all. You are Lord of all. You are above everything. Lord, would you help me to soberly look at my life? To deconstruct and reconstruct in accordance with your voice. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, would you make a mark on each one of us this morning? Would you leave a mark on us, Lord, that we do not stand up and just move on, but like like Jacob that wrestled with you, would you leave us with a limp? Would you leave us with a mark that we'd remember? Would you leave us with a sign of this covenant in our hearts, in our minds? Mark us, Lord, so we will know and that we wouldn't turn away to the left or to the right. And when we do that, we'd know to run to the Father's arms for His glory. Father, I pray for bad theology to be removed in our midst. That we'd look at Your Word soberly and see that You are God. That we are not. And that you call us to surrender our lives and you didn't joke when you said it. It wasn't a strange metaphor to say, do some things that I want and then you can do some things that you want. But you meant it when you said deny ourselves. Father, we come to you in repentance. And I pray that there should be a turning, a turning point in our lives. And I just feel the Lord highlighting to me that it's each one's own responsibility. Your salvation is not the responsibility of the small group leader or of me or of anyone else. It's yours. Each one should work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. Let there be fear and trembling among us, God, before your word, before your holiness. We can just remember in this attitude and let each one of us just deal with him as we worship you can just remain where you are let us just worship him and you can deal with him you don't have to sing along if you know you have to deal with him right now just deal with the Lord just bring your own heart and repentance renounce those voices that has led you